Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, it's a privilege to speak this morning. Uh, let me start by praying. God, Lord, thank you that you are like so worthy of surrendering to and just giving our all. Lord, that's a scary thing, but um, you are completely able to take our lives and our cares and our struggles. Thank you, Lord. So we surrender to you. Lord, thank you for the gifted musicians. Bless them, Lord, and uh, just take this time. Make it yours, God. Uh, may these words be yours and uh, help all of us, including myself, uh, learn from your word. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to just start by reading this passage that we're in in Colossians that we've come to in our series. Uh, yeah, it's up there. Uh, while I read it, just imagine me reading this passage uh, on a college campus with non-Christians present, okay? Imagine how it would fall on their, their ears uh, because that did happen a couple years ago. So Colossians 3.18 is where we start. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who do, does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And then four one masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So, yeah, if you imagine me reading this uh, passage on a college campus to non-Christians, then you were probably squirming in, in your seat a little bit. Um, yeah, a couple years ago, <clears throat> I was leading a small group Bible study on a college campus, and we had strong Christians coming, uh, questionable Christians coming, uh, and an atheist coming. And we were going through the book of Colossians, and we got to this passage, and uh, no surprise, this did not sit well uh, with the atheist. Like, you know, no church background, uh, we'll call him Evan. And he was a really great guy, uh, by the way. He uh, was curious, and that's why he was coming every week. It was really cool. But hearing this passage, I mean, it was just ridiculous, just ridiculous to him. He was like, wow, this is outdated. This is old-fashioned and uh, pretty much wrong. And it just really, like, matched the sort of closed-mindedness and oppression that's often associated with Christianity on college campuses you know, wives submitting to husbands, slaves obeying their masters. He really bristled. And I totally understand. Uh, totally understand because of what it sounds like on the surface. And we had like a really good discussion. Uh, great discussion that, that sort of disarmed him uh, when it came to explaining a little bit about slavery and what it looked like back then, for example, 
which I'll touch on this morning. Um, but he was still bristling. And so I just asked him, uh, is authority and power over others um, in and of itself a bad thing? Is authority and powers, uh, is, is one person having authority and power over another person in and of itself a bad thing? And, and that got him thinking. And uh, it was kind of hard for him to say no. Because what came out was that he had witnessed and heard about so many instances of power and authority being abused by people that he had effectively, um, subconsciously at least, uh, thrown out the whole notion that people having authority and power over other people could be a good thing. And he's definitely not alone in that. And um, yeah, maybe even some of us think uh, this way, and we don't even realize it. Uh, submission to our elders, submission to our government, sub- submission to husbands, employers. And so we're going to be talking about uh, two problems this morning. One is how positions of power and authority have been abused uh, by people. Uh, and if you're in a position of power over others or authority, there's a warning this morning. And the second problem that we'll talk about is basically our struggle with submitting to human authority and how that actually relates to how we're doing with God. So we have three relationships highlighted in this passage, uh, all having an authority dynamic in them. In other words, uh, someone in a position of authority and someone who is under authority. And so with each of these three relationships, we'll look at the potential sin of both the one in authority and the one under authority. Uh, First relationship is husband and wife. Second is parent and children. And the third is slaves and masters. And we'll start with verses 18 to 19. Uh, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I'm only going to say a few things about this relationship lest I get into some trouble, right? Um, First of all, it's it's clear in Scripture that God has made husbands the leader or authority in a marriage. Um, There are different interpretations of this. Uh, where, where some Christians say, oh, that, that was just a cultural thing that God said some of these things in his word. But, but each time it's mentioned and talked about, God ha- or a husband having authority or leadership over a wife, each time it's talked about, it, it, it doesn't cite cultural reasons. It cites timeless principles. And so, um, ver- like, like verses, uh, Ephesians 5, 23, for example, Uh, when it talks about headship. Uh, Ephesians 5 is a parallel passage to this one in Colossians, and it unpacks this a little more. I'm going to kill this fly? Okay. Uh, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And so what this looks like practically for the husband to have a position of authority in a marriage and for the wife to be in submission 
to him, what that looks like is up to a lot of interpretation. Scripture, quite honestly, isn't very specific uh, on what this practically looks like. And many Christians have different interpretations of what it looks like. And so since so much of what this looks, looks like is up to interpretation, uh, a lot of this falls into the category of opinion. Um, and so I think a good idea would be spouses working through this together and, and talking about, you know, what does this dynamic look like for your marriage? <clears throat> and then I think it's a good practice to not project your interpretation of what it looks like onto other couples because it will, it will look different from couple to couple. But the principle remains, I mean, you can't escape. You can't escape the fact in God's word that there is an authority dynamic here. And so first, the sin, the sin for the one possessing authority would be, according to verse 19, husbands being harsh with their wives. Most translations actually translate it as husbands, don't be bitter toward your wives. Don't be angry toward them. Don't be resentful toward them. When guys are bigger and stronger and get angry at their wives, it can be very intimidating. And unfortunately, physical abuse has happened enough in the past and that's why society has swung the pendulum to the other side where this notion of husbands having authority automatically triggers a fear response in many. And it's understandable. Like I am certain that husbands have abused this verse and taken this authority as a blank check to suppress the wife or intimidate the wife or always get his way. That's an abuse of this verse. Because when we look at the parallel text in Ephesians, we can see what a husband's godly authority is supposed to look like. It's not just husbands don't be bitter or angry at wives. It's husbands, Ephesians 5.25, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like Christ absolutely gave his whole life up for the church. In other words, husbands are called to drop their own needs and preferences and consider her needs and preferences first. It's, it's serving from dawn until dusk and sometimes in the middle of the night. Not overbearing, but accommodating, being an absolute servant to her in the family. That's what godly authority looks like in this relationship dynamic. And, 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 and if a husband's authority looks like that, really, then I don't think anybody, Christian or not, would be against this. Unfortunately, though, you know, as husbands, we struggle to exercise authority in this way. You know, the whole, the whole the word authority has a negative feeling. 
And so the question is, are we going to be shaped by our culture when we think of authority and how our culture abuses positions of authority? Or are we going to be shaped by God's word and what God says healthy authority looks like? I think people most of the time bristle at this idea of husbands having authority over their wives when they're being shaped by a cultural definition of what authority looks like. Not so with us. Not so with us. And so for the husbands, there are two extremes. Some husbands will struggle with being domineering like we've talked about. And on the other extreme are some who are entirely passive, like causing the wife to be overburdened as she carries the load of serving the family, whether that's tasks or making her make all the decisions. And so application here is, husbands, what are you more tempted toward? None of us are perfect. None of us are like Jesus. So we are tempted, each of us, to one of these two extremes. So which is it? It's good to acknowledge which one you are tempted more towards, domineering or passivity. That's the question for us. Um, Now to the wife, the one under authority in this relationship, the two extremes that she may struggle with could be the same thing, domineering or usurping, if you will, or passivity. And we're, we're going to talk about domineering first, that temptation, because it's the one um, directly addressed in this passage. <clears throat> um, immediately after the fall, where Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke to Eve, and he said a very curious thing. He said, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And we're going to unpack this verse a little bit because it addresses dysfunctionality that entered after the fall on both ends, husband and wife. So first, with that word desire, your desire will be for your husband. It's likely not talking about romantic desire here. Uh, That Hebrew word for desire occurs in a closely, really closely parallel statement just a few verses later which probably informs what the Hebrew word for desire here in this verse means. In Genesis 4-7, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology says it a lot better than me. He says the parallelism in the Hebrew text, these Uh, between these two verses is quite remarkable. Six words counting conjunctions and prepositions are exactly the same and in the same order. Another four nouns and pronouns are in the same position and have the same function in the sentence. In Genesis 4-7, the desire that sin has for Cain is surely a desire to overcome and conquer him, as is evident from the image of an animal crouching at the door waiting for him. Therefore, it's likely that the, word, the Hebrew word desire has the same meaning in verses, verse 316. And it concludes that this indicates Eve would have a wrongful desire 
to usurp authority over her husband. But once again, that verse, that's only the first half of that verse. We see the distortion of Adam's role in that Genesis 3.16 as well when it says, and he will rule over you. Grudem says it better than me once again. He says the word rule here is a strong term usually used of monarchical governments. The word has nuances of dictatorial or absolute uncaring use of authority rather than considerate thoughtful rule. It suggests harshness rather than kindness. And so in both cases, the curse brought a distortion of Adam's humble, considerate rule, or sorry, not rule, Adam's humble and considerate leadership and Eve's intelligent, willing submission to that leadership. And so back to the two extremes that, that a wife can struggle with while being a husband, uh, under a husband's leadership or authority, usurping and being domineering like Genesis 3.16 talks about. But then the other extreme could be becoming entirely passive, not speaking up for herself, not speaking up to correct her husband, for example, if he mismanages a situation. Listen, submission to authority doesn't mean being entirely passive and agreeing with everything that the person in authority says or suggests. It's certainly not that way when we're submissive to other authorities, like the authority of an employer or government officials. We can certainly differ with our government and still submit to it. Or even the authority of like elders in a church, we can submit to them even though we don't agree with some of their decisions. And so once again, the application with, for wives also, which are you more tempted toward? Which are you more tempted toward? Does the culture shape us or does the word of God shape us with these things? Which are you more tempted toward, usurping, domineering, or passivity? Um, and another thought, uh, quick thought I had here is that um, part of leadership, part of healthy leadership is delegating. Delegating things to people who can do things better than you. <clears throat> And so for me, as a husband, it's wise for me to delegate a lot of decisions to my wife because, quite honestly, she is a lot smarter than me. <clears throat> and that doesn't mean that she's the boss. That's what I try to tell myself, right? But she is a lot brighter than me. And I can be secure enough and admit that men we have a lot of insecurities, and sometimes we lash out. That's counterproductive, and that's not what godly leadership does. And I have failed in that over and over. Recognize, own up to your own insecurities. You are secure in Christ, and so you don't need to be so afraid of admitting weakness or admitting a wrong decision, or admitting that you treated your kid poorly, own up. 
And if you want to talk about failures, talk to me after that, or after this, because I can share with you how often I have failed in that. But once again, it would be good to talk about what this looks like in your marriage if you are married, if you're engaged, what this could look like, the husband being the leader and the wife submitting. A lot of times it doesn't get talked about and it creates a lot of friction, a lot of friction. And so I'll just end with this before moving on as well in case any of you are being triggered and uh, I feel like God gave me this word Be bigger than your trigger. In other words, if you get triggered by something someone says, the temptation is to stop listening and to just focus on that trigger, what triggered you. I have have verbalized a balanced approach here. Be bigger than your trigger. Continue listening. And and the reason I'm saying that is because this is such a culturally charged topic. So if I say, wives, submit to your husbands, a lot of people might have just turned off with that and not continued to listen. But there were other things that I said after that. Submitting doesn't mean that wives submit to husbands when they tell them to do wrong or to sin. Or to submit when abuse is happening. Those are different, complex issues that counsel should be sought for. All right, moving to the next authority dynamic. Children uh, with parents. Children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The child-parent authority dynamic here, not going to say much except to highlight what some of these words mean and what it seems to be saying, especially to fathers. Should have gave this talk on Father's Day or something. Um, Fathers, do not embitter your children. Embitter means to provoke, to stir up. Almost with a sense of when they're struggling, don't cause them to struggle more with your response to them struggling. If they're struggling or when they're struggling, don't make them struggle more with your response to them struggling. Basically, don't make things worse. I mean, we never do that as guys, right? We just fix things. But if fathers embitter their children... It can, quote, discourage them. Discourage here means to lose heart, to break their spirit. Basically, it means they give up. And that is the last thing, the last thing that we want to do. And one thing that comes to my mind when I think of what embittering your children might look like is when you're just always focusing on their weaknesses and correcting them pointing out their failures, what they did wrong, rather than encouraging them with the strengths that you see in them. Or the unique way that God has made them. Because I think that what would precipitate them being discouraged and losing heart is them feeling alone and not believed in. 
And so this is a call to parents that part of practicing healthy authority is speaking life and encouragement to our children, not just giving them attention when they're doing something wrong, right? And then the last authority dynamic here is slaves with masters, or as I'll explain, the present-day similarity of employees with employers. And I'll explain that, but I'll start out with making a distinction between slavery when this was written and slavery in our own country's history. Crucial distinction here, especially when unfortunately Christians used passages like these to justify the type of slavery that existed in our country's history just a century and a half ago. Once again, understandable, understandable why guys like Evan would cringe at passages like these in the Bible. That's understandable by what it sounds like on the surface. We've got to admit that. But this quote from the ESV Study Bible I really like. It's about slavery in the context of uh, back then. It says in New Testament times, a slave is often best described as a bond servant. That is someone in the Roman Empire, who, um, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years. When the contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved by the master and officially declared a freed man. This is very much different than the type of slavery that was practiced in the colonies, which is referred to as chattel slavery. With chattel slavery, enslaved people were the personal property of their owners. Crucial distinction. And it's no wonder why there's still a lot of pain associated with that. So when it talks about slavery here in this passage, it can most, likened, most be likened to an employer-employee relationship today. I'm certain that being a bond servant back then was harder than simply being an employee today, but that, that parallel is reasonable. And so if we look at this passage uh, in that light, that what, we, what can we learn and how does it apply to us? And I think the biggest thing that, that uh, I'm going to point out is verse 23. I think it ha- yeah, it's highlighted there. Um, how is your work ethic? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans. humans. It should be apparent to employees, employ- your employer, that, that we're different simply by our work ethic. If we're working For the Lord, it's implied that we'll be a hard worker. But if we're merely just working for our boss, we'll be working hard when they're looking, sure. But when they're not working, or when they're not looking, we'll get lazy. So one of my friends tells uh, of a time when his superior at Cat uh, commented on what a good job he was doing. And my friend said, well, I'm a Christian, which means... You know, I serve God through my work. And uh, his superior was surprised at that and said, well, that hasn't been my experience of a lot of Christians. Like, how is your work ethic? Do you stick out? Do you submit to your superiors? And if you are a boss, how are you wielding your authority? Colossians 4.1, are you just? Are you equitable? Are you innocent? 
in your dealings with your employees, like 4.1 talks about. And you can uh, turn to the next slide. Throughout this whole passage, uh, instructions are given to those under authority and those over or in positions of authority, all in relation to one thing or one person, I should say, and that is the Lord. Like Paul cites the Lord as the reference point, as the reason for people to submit and the reason for people to steward their authority well. A next slide. In, order, in, in other words, for those under human authority, um, how we're doing at submitting to human authority in our lives is an indicator of how we're doing submitting to God's authority. Or if we're in positions of authority, how we're exercising that authority over others reveals how we're doing submitting to God's authority. Like there's no compartmentalization here. We like to think very individualistic and think that we can um, be completely insubordinate to our husband or boss or parent and still be okay with God. Or, or, or if we're a husband or boss or parent thinking, you know, I can be super controlling and still be okay with God. Like, nope, that's not how it works. The culture might say that, but not the Bible. We walk in the fear of the Lord. And the term Lord even means to he, he to whom a person or thing belongs. He is our ultimate authority and he is good. He is so good. He is a good authority. And so two final application points. Uh, for those under human authority first, because Jesus is our Lord and our ultimate authority we can willingly submit to human authority because we're doing it for the Lord. We are doing it for the Lord who is so gracious and amazing and so worthy of, like the Lord is so worthy of sacrifice. And so yes, I will sacrifice for human authority because it's actually Jesus I'm sacrificing for. And if you want to be more challenged in that, look at 1 Peter 2 and 3. It talks about submitting to human authority even when that human authority isn't treating you right. And it is super challenging. But this is, it's the word of God. And for those in positions of authority, application, it's no secret that the danger of being in a position of power over others or, or authority is control. It's having control and gaining some sort of warped self-significance from controlling others. And we cannot be so naive as to think that this doesn't and can't happen in spiritual situations. Where we're tempted to just use spirituality or religion or the Bible to control others. Jesus is our master. And he showed us and taught us what healthy authority looks like and so now we can be life-giving authority figures to those around us authority figures who serve and build up those under us and so I'm going to end with this last passage where Jesus both teaches what healthy authority looks like 
and models it. And then I'm going to pray. Um, Matthew 20, 25. Um, Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, thank you that you taught us what healthy authority looks like. You gave yourself up for us. You believed in us and still do. Thank you. We worship you and we do want to submit to you in all things, including submitting to you by submitting to human authority that you placed us under. So help us, Lord, also to, to, to be healthy like authority figures in this world where authority is just broken. Help us to demonstrate your character, Lord, and may the world know your character more through us. And uh, yeah, we worship you. Thanks for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.